Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This morning, I'm going to be continuing in the sermon series that we began three, well, three weeks ago on prayer. I wanted to thank Pastor Keith for the sermon that he preached last Sunday on prayer. And in my own preaching through uh, prayer for this sermon series, everything will be taken from the Lord's Prayer, everything. Now, in line with this, there's an overarching reason for this sermon series on prayer. But before I get to that, I wanted to make mention of the fact that this morning's sermon is called The Lord's Prayer Forgiveness. The Lord's Prayer Forgiveness. But the overarching reason for this sermon series is as follows, that City Church would be more prayerful and Charlottesville would become more prayer-filled. Another way to put it would be this, that you and I would be more prayerful and the world around us would be more prayer filled. Another thing that I've mentioned every week during this sermon series on prayer is something that I learned for a, from a man that I serve, or didn't serve under but studied under for about a year that kind of altered or rocked my prayer life. And it's the following phrase You are a part of the answer to every prayer you pray. That was by J. Robert Ashcroft. His son, John, became the Attorney General of the United States. But ever since I heard J. Robert Ashcroft say that, he's deceased now. But ever, ever since I heard him say that, that altered my prayer life because I had in prayer what I called Jesus hand grenades. I would just lob a prayer over the wall into the next room and just kind of walk away and say, well, that's that. But ever since he said that, it altered my view of prayer. Because I do believe that God calls us specifically in the Lord's Prayer to be people that participate in the prayer. We don't just pray it. Now what I would like for us to do is we're going to read together, and you may know it from memory, the Lord's Prayer. I know you were recently seated, but I'd like for you to stand for the reading of Scripture. This prayer is found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it's called the Lord's Prayer. And before we pray it, here's what we need to know. Jesus on the mountain is casting the vision for his kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's the vision for the kingdom of God. Many centuries earlier, Moses had done it on Mount Sinai. He'd received the law and that became the center of the Jewish faith. Now Jesus is on a mountain just like Moses, and he is announcing a new kingdom and what the kingdom will be like. And in that, in chapter 6, we discover the Lord's Prayer. Let's read it together. This then is how you should pray. Let's read. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated. It's important for us to know that the epicenter of the prayer is the following phrase. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like to pray it this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Now before I get into the idea of forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer, I want us to take a look at the sermon very briefly as a recap, the sermon that I preached two weeks ago. The phrase that we looked at for the entire time in this, that sermon was this phrase, give us today our daily bread. And what we discovered is the, the word in English that is translated, in Greek that is translated um, daily bread is the Greek word epiuson. It's found nowhere else in Greek literature, nowhere else in the Bible other than the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. It's the only place it's found. The truth of it is, biblical scholars don't know what it means. But if you look at the brightest of scholars, those that have really dug into this word, what we discover is the best way to translate it is this. Give us today tomorrow's bread. And what it really speaks to is the fear that we will run out. It speaks to the fear of lack. It speaks to the fear that there won't be enough. And so what the prayer does is it calls me to pray it today. God, please take care of tomorrow's bread. And then I live freed up from the anxieties and the fears and the depression of lack. And therefore, I live as generous and kind. I can be present and the low hum of anxiety goes away because the scripture says from Genesis to Revelation, God says, I'm the God that will take care of what you need. What you need, I will take care of. So go and live life. Jesus said, doesn't God see the sparrows? Doesn't he take care of them? Why are you so worried? It's funny that that was an anxiety back in the day of Jesus and it still is today. But the Lord's Prayer calls us to be a people who do not live with the low hum of lack or fear. Instead, every day we pray this prayer, and if you were Jewish, you'd pray it twice a day. That's the Jesus prayer. You would get up in the morning and you would pray it, and in the evening you would pray it again, and you'd be confronted again with this. Give us today our epiusone bread. Give us today tomorrow's bread. God, I trust you that there will be enough. That way I can be kind and I can be present and I can be generous instead of anxiety-ridden and insecure and edgy and bitter and selfish. The Lord's Prayer confronts that. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the idea of forgiveness. And the phrase that we're going to focus on is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I have been polling this in every service because some of you, when you hear the phrase, and forgive us our debts, what do you hear? Trespasses, right? How many of you grew up in a debt church? Raise your hand. How many of you grew up in a trespass church? By the way, the trespassers have completely overrun the debtors, like by 100 miles, just so you know. By the way, the historicity of that is quite simple. England was the place where Bibles were being translated and clergy were bringing the scriptures into English for the common person. 
And when the scriptures were being translated, one vein of the Church of England had a lot of landowners. Well, what do you think the pastors challenged them with? Trespassing, right? Others were bankers and had lots of money. Guess what the Lord's Prayer confronts in them? Debts and debtors. Does this make sense? So there were two veins, and it's literally that simple. But the scripture we choose is the NIV Bible, and it chooses debts. Now, as I was thinking through this morning's sermon on forgiveness and on the Lord's Prayer, here's one thing that I thought of that I had never really noticed before. I'd never noticed this before, and it surprised me that I hadn't. It was this. There's a word from the Lord's Prayer that's a very conspicuous word that you don't find in it, but it ought to be. And if you think about God and you think about Scripture and you think about who God is, this word pops into a lot of people's minds, but Jesus does not include it in the daily prayer that we're called to pray. It's not there. It's absent. Some of you have already thought of what the word is, but if you haven't thought of the word, I'm going to give you a hint by quoting to you a Beatles song that was written in 1967. Here's the hint. Are you ready? Here it goes. There's nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can sing that can't be sung, nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made, no one you can save that can't be saved, nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be in your time. It's easy. And what's the next phrase? All you need is love. Now let me quote to you the lyrics. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. All you need is 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 love, love. Love is all you need. Breathe. There's nothing you can know that isn't known. Nothing that you can see that isn't shown. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. You ready for the depth of lyric? All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. All you need is love. All together now. All you need is love. Everybody. All you need is love, love, love is all you need. 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 It gets deeper. Love is all you need. Love is all 62 times. Love is all you need. And then there's one breath and a refrain. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she does, turn to her and thank her. Say. And then it ends with these two profound lines, love is all you need, love is all you need. What's the word that's missing from the Lord's Prayer? Love. Because here's why. Love isn't all you need. If it was, it would be in there. But it's not love, it's forgiveness. And I have come to believe that forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom of God and of love. So many people would say, no, love is the currency. It is not. It's forgiveness. You see, I've observed in three decades of pastoral ministry, I've observed young couples that come before me for premarital counseling. Pastor Gabe does that now, our congregational care pastor. But of the weddings that I perform, it's an amazing thing to watch couples come in front of you and they're totally in love. 
What almost all of them will tell you after 18 months, love ain't all you need. You need forgiveness. Because if you're going to be in a relationship with anyone for any period of time, in any depth of relationship, you must have forgiveness. You must. And again, I believe that forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom of God, and it is the currency of love. Now, I have thought through pastorally some things I want to share about forgiveness. And what I know is it's going to get very difficult for some of us in this sanctuary and some who are worshiping with us online. But we have to understand that the phrase in this prayer is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. The first thing that I would say pastorally is this is the only part of the Lord's prayer that depends on us, the only one. The rest we ask God to do, but this we're called to do. God forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who've sinned against me. Putting feet to our faith in the Lord's prayer is built in only here. The rest of it, God does. This one, we're called to do. Now, pastorally, I've noticed things over the last three decades about forgiveness. I've seen it. And I want to share with you some of the struggles that I've seen. First of all, if you forgive a true injustice, not a little thing, but a big one, if you forgive someone who's done something to you that no one would ever sign up for, ever. If you forgive someone of that level of offense, I will promise you to the people around you, you appear weak. You look weak. And you will discover if you talk about that level of forgiveness that people in the balcony of your life will say to you, what about your rights? But we're people of the kingdom. We live a different life. And Jesus, in his prayer that should have been prayed twice a day, there's the call for forgiveness. But again, you will appear weak. You know, I've seen it in pastoral ministry, even in marriage where there's been an affair or adultery. And in the midst of that, one spouse or the other will make the decision to forgive. And family members on their side of that marriage will gather around them and say, how could you ever do that? How dare you? And yet there's something in the kingdom that calls us beyond that. It calls us to forgive. It doesn't condone sin, but it appears weak and pitiful. I've known of people that have get forgiven at that level, and people in the balcony of their life have said, that's pathetic that you would forgive that. Next, I've noticed 
That when you forgive a true offense, not something flippant, something that's deep and has truly affected your soul, when you bring forgiveness, it looks like you don't care about justice. We're going to pick up on that later with the last example I'll give before we close in prayer. But I've observed it in people's lives who have truly forgiven someone who has done huge harm to them. They have forgiven. And people in the balcony of their life have chirped over the wall. What about justice? Don't you want to get them? Remember that Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. It's profound. Here's the other thing that I've learned in my own life, as well as pastoring for three decades in the lives of others. That although forgiveness looks like it's weakness, forgiveness takes more strength and maturity than anger, hate, and resentment. Way more. I want to repeat that again. Forgiveness takes more strength and maturity than anger, hate, and resentment. And the last thing I want to make mention of is that unforgiveness deeply affects the soul. Deeply. But unforgiveness, in my own terminology, gets legs. And what I mean by unforgiveness getting legs is that, let's say that I, someone has sinned against me, let me pick on my friend Diane Ewing. So Diane Ewing has sinned against me. And so what a lot of people try to do in life, and this is what I mean by unforgiveness getting legs. She has sinned against me, and it's not something that's debatable. She's truly sinned. So what I'll say is, I'll say, you know what? I'm just not going to forgive her. And I'm going to compartmentalize my relationship with Diane, and I'm just going to coordinate off and kind of sequester that and put that in the corner. Then what I'm going to do is just go on and live life. What I mean by unforgiveness getting legs is that that unforgiveness crawls over the wall and infects every other relationship of my life, every last one. And we think it's just over there. We think it's just me and Diane, that's it. God's convicted me. I know I'm supposed to forgive her, but I just don't really want to. And so I'm gonna put that on, I'm gonna pump the brakes, I'm gonna put that on hold. But the rest of my life, I'm just gonna go on living. And here's what I've seen for so many years is that that relationship where the unforgiveness is, it gets legs and it just starts coming over the wall and it begins to dance through every relationship of life. And it doesn't stay there. And the Bible puts it this way. Bitterness in the scriptures is announced this way. It's called a root of bitterness. And what do roots do? You see a plant above ground, but the roots for some plants, and I've seen this, I grew up on a farm, and you'd see a plant on this side of a wall, and in about two years, you'd see that thing sprout on the other side. That's what a root is. So when in the Hebrew mind, when it speaks of a root of bitterness, you've got what you can see, but what's going on subterranean is spreading, and it's growing, and it begins to pop up in the other compartments of life. Unforgiveness has legs. It never stays in one area. 
And look, I want to be completely sincere and honest because I've worked with university students now for 32 years. And that is this. I have watched college students get so bitter against their parents they can hardly breathe. That bitterness grows. That bitterness sticks with you like glue. I would encourage you, if you're in college or in grad school, you would take the time to work through the anger and the bitterness towards parents. Because I've watched it derail people relationally for years. I've had people sit in my office and upload confession to me that they wish they had forgiven parents after they had moved out of the house, but never did. And they're in their 60s and their 70s, and it's wreaked havoc on their lives. One of the big 10 is honor your father and mother. And I think at very baseline, it means to learn how to forgive them. There's no perfect parent. Never has been, never will be. And if you can't jive with what I'm saying, God bless you because you've had a great set of parents and a great home life. But the majority of college students I know struggle with this area. Deal with it now, as soon as you can. Now, as we think about unforgiveness, I wanted to make a very unabashed commercial for Freedom Weekend, which is coming up October 15th and 16th. This Freedom Weekend, by the way, is Friday night and Saturday, and it's for those of us here at City who've been through Soul Care. Soul Care is a discipleship process that I have mentored through and served under, and we've had a couple of hundred people at City go through Soul Care. One of the main disciplines of soul care is forgiveness. And Rob Reamer, the author of the book Soul Care, will be here with us Friday night and all day Saturday. If you're an alumni of soul care here at City or you're currently in the course, I would encourage you to be there and to allow God to touch your heart. But what I can tell you is unforgiveness is something that deeply affects the soul. Now, I wrestled with an example of forgiveness that I could give this morning. I didn't want to give one from City Church or use a person in our church family who has struggled with and wrestled with the issue of forgiveness. So in prayer, as I was seeking for an illustration or an example, I was reminded of something that happened five years ago. It happened five years ago in South Carolina, in Charleston, but it deeply affected everyone who serves in my calling and in my profession. When the news of what happened hit the airwaves, it took the breath out of all of us. I want to read for you the follow-up article two days later after this happened. It's June 19th, 2015. Two days after this event happened, the Washington Post wrote the following. The relatives of the nine people slain in the historic African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina, earlier this week, were able to speak directly to Dylan Roof, the accused gunman Friday at his first court appearance. One by one, those who chose to speak from that church at his bond hearing did so without anger. Instead, while he remained impassive and rarely made eye contact, they offered him 
forgiveness and said that they were praying for his soul even as they described the deep pain of their losses. I forgive you, Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, one of the nine of the 13 who were murdered at that prayer meeting. Nadine said at the hearing to Dylan Roof, with her voice breaking with emotion, you took something very precious from me in the house of God. I will never talk to her again. She will never hold me and I will never hold her. But I forgive you and may God have mercy on your soul. What happened in that courtroom was unplanned. But church member after church member stood and publicly offered forgiveness on their own. Totally unplanned. It was the clearest demonstration of the gospel I'd seen in decades. And yet, the media picked up on it and began to belittle it. Some, not all, some praised it. But some began to belittle it. That doesn't surprise me. Because as people who live in the kingdom of Jesus, we live differently. What was shouted from the balcony was, what about justice? By the way, Dylan Roof, after 40 federal accounts were pressed against him, received the death penalty. Justice will be served. That's not the point. The point of it is, is that these people lived in the kingdom of God. And when you live in the kingdom, it's not without its wrestling and its struggles, but you learn how to forgive. One of the neater things that were said about that was there was a semi-professional baseball player whose mother was gunned down at that prayer meeting. And what he said was he was out on the baseball field in the middle of a game when he decided to forgive Dylan Roof for killing his mother. It wasn't in church. It wasn't planned. It was just that God touched him in the middle of the game, deep in his soul, and he made the decision to forgive. What better example of forgiveness? What better example is there of someone who forgives? But then we remember Jesus. Unduly tried. Tried in a kangaroo court in the middle of the night, which was completely illegal. No one came to his defense. He stood there totally alone and was pronounced guilty of things he'd never done. And while he was being executed, he said this, Father, forgive them. He lived the gospel, and we're called to live it too. When we talk about putting feet to our faith, I believe every single one of us are here in this sanctuary at God's divine design and intent. I don't believe that there are any mistakes about you hearing this sermon. But here's what I've come to believe, and I've seen it happen over and over. Whenever a woman or a man makes the decision to forgive, God shows up. God's a forgiving God. And the truth of it is, that's what the Lord's Prayer is trying to teach you. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. You see, when I choose to forgive, God shows up. 
because he's a forgiving God. And it's also the case that every single time I pray the Lord's Prayer, hopefully twice a day, I'm confronted again with forgiveness. And why is that? Because we need it. We need to be reminded over and over and over again that people in the kingdom of Jesus are forgivers. It's what we do. It doesn't make it easy. But what I do know, somehow, some way, when we do that, God shows up and our souls get healed. I know that there are people within the sound of this sermon who you've had unspeakable things done to you. I know that. I want to encourage you. Take the moment now in God's presence in this sanctuary to move the compass of your heart towards forgiveness. Let's stand together. As we close out, I'd like us to close our eyes. And without looking around at all, if you sense the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you about, convi uh, convicting you about forgiveness, I would like you to respond by closing your eyes, and lifting your hands out in front of you as a sign of surrender, but a sign of receptivity to God. Bring that person before God and ask for the strength to forgive. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Give us today tomorrow's bread and forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us.